It's great to see everybody this morning. Welcome to Gateway Baptist Church. I'd like to welcome all those in the gym and those watching us at home. We're so glad you're able to be with us this morning. Just a few quick announcements. Uh, kids, uh, kids worship continues today. We're excited. Last week it starts. And uh, so we're going to continue on. You get to be with uh, Mr. Rick and being there, one of our elders today and Miss um, Kim and have a wonderful time. Remember, it's right after the prayer time uh, today. One of our elders, Seth, will be praying and he'll dismiss you kids out these doors, first through fourth grade. And uh, parents, another little important announcement right after the service. If you can please make your way down fairly quickly to get your kids and then fellowship when you get back because <laughs> they've been in there for a good while and they'll be ready to come out with you guys. So it's down the blue hall, room six, to pick up your kids afterwards. Men, overnight backpacking trip this weekend, third Friday and Saturday night. Details and registration are on the blog. Uh, we want to encourage elementary age guys and youth boys uh, with, are able to come with their fathers. We'd love to see that happen and come and join. Registration closes tomorrow night, but you can see all the information on the blog on our website at gatewaybaptist.com. Another reminder about Easter. It's coming soon. We're very excited to celebrate the resurrection. Uh, we're having a Good Friday service at 7 p.m. And then the Easter sunrise service. I know it's tough for folks to get up, but this is our 10th or 11th year something like that, Grady, I think, that we get to enjoy time together with our extended family at Grace at Presbyterian Legacy Anglican. And this year, Young Meadows Presbyterian is going to be joining us. We're very excited at 6.30 Easter sunrise down the Bell Road at Grace at Presbyterian Church. Very excited about that. And then our Sunday morning will be like normal, Bible study at 9 and here in 10.30. And lastly, uh, Grady mentioned it last week, we have a wonderful opportunity to bless the Montgomery Baptist Association's ministry called Love Loud Montgomery with some food. They're doing a big food drive once a year to stock the pantry. We have a few items down the hall that people have already brought, but please check out the blog on the website. There's a whole list of things that you can bring. And so we only have till this Thursday. It's the last day to drop things off. So we please want to encourage you to bring us some food, canned goods, toiletries, different things to stock that for the city of Montgomery. I ask you to please stand. We're going to start off with the reading of God's word and declare some wonderful truths of who he is before we worship him this morning through song. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked according, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, amen? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's worship the saving faith of our Jesus this morning. We're about to sing just that, um, that verse that he just sang, that it's by grace through faith that we are saved. 
And so through this song, Grace Through Faith, it's actually going to transition and uh, go. Each chorus changes in the tense. And so it's going to start with um, God before the foundations of the world and that he had this plan in place for our redemption, the grace through faith that we would be saved by. And then it's going to transition to Christ being born to come and fulfill that plan and that we are saved by that grace. And then at the end, we'll transition to that um, our future hoping Christ, that um, he is going to come and get us again, that he's going to come and call his children home. And then in that, as being believers and being the bride of Christ, we will be able to sing that song as a song of redemption, that it's by grace that we were saved. So the tense will slowly change through that chorus of that verse, it's by grace we were saved. So let's sing this together.
All creatures of our God and King. Let all things 
something like that, God, but our only hope is found in you, God. God, you are angry with sin, Father. And that sin had to have a punishment for it. The punishment was death. But that death had to come by a perfect unblemished, spotless lamb, God. And none of us left to our own righteousness, God, fit that description because our righteousness is as filthy rags. So you had a plan of redemption, God, before the foundation of the world and that you sent your son to come and live the life that we could not. To come and live a perfect, sinless, 
blameless life, God, so he could be that sacrificial lamb that could stand in our place and be the ultimate sacrifice for sin, God. And so your anger was turned on your son and you unleashed the cup of your wrath and your son bore it all on our behalf, God, to vindicate your glory and the greatness of your name, God. We thank you for that hope and that redemption that we have in you, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Always a special time in the life of the church. This is one of Gateway's kids, Abigail Habercorn. So for parents, I know it's still COVID going on, but typically we let the kids come sit down front on the steps so they can see their, their friend get baptized. If you're comfortable with that, you're welcome for your kids to come sit down here. But parents, you're also welcome to keep your kids with you, whatever you feel most comfortable with. But if you like to boys and girls, if your parents say it's okay, you're welcome to come sit down here up front. There you go. So you can see, you can see your friend get closer to be baptized there. So there we go. Well, while the boys and girls and boys and girls, if you'll be real still and quiet so we can all hear this, I want to remind us why we do baptism. Jesus' last words in Matthew 28 before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus commissioned us to be making disciples, and the way you show that you're a disciple of Christ is you're baptized. It's the way that you announce to the world that you are a follower of Christ. The way we do baptism, the way we do, is because it's a symbol. There's nothing magical about these waters. These waters do not save you. Baptism does not add to your salvation. It does not make you safe. It is a public profession of faith in Christ. By going under the water, you're saying, I believe that Christ died for my sins. When you come out of the water, you're saying, I believe that Christ was raised in the newness of life, defeating death so I can have life. But it's also a pronouncement saying that because of God's grace, because of what God has done for me, I have died to my old ways of life by His grace, and I'm raised to walk in newness of life with Christ. And so it's a symbol of not only reminding us of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, but saying that I am new in Christ. You hear me talk about it very often, but following Christ is not I pray a prayer so I don't have to go to hell. Following Christ is I love Jesus, and he's put in my heart a love for him that is transforming me and changing me. And so baptism is a symbol of that. And so this morning, we get Abigail Habercorn. is one of the kids who's real involved in Gateway's Kids Ministry. Her parents, Tom and Jennifer, are very involved in the life of our church. So what we're going to do this morning is first let them share a little bit of her story and see if she wants to share anything. They're not a scary group, I promise. I look at them every week. So, um, but let them share her story because we want you to hear how she came to faith in Christ and how this is real for her. Then after that, I'm going to walk around with a microphone for just a minute. So if any of you want to know her and want to say a word of encouragement to her before she's baptized, you are welcome to do it. We're going to start with your testimony, Abigail. All right. Um, when she was when she was five, we actually came to the fall festival here at church, and, um, you know, I mean, I was at, it was at our church, but I think as most parents, we don't really, we're like Halloween and candy and all of the things that happen, um, but I know it's one of those things around our church, especially, that they talk about this being the biggest outreach um, for our neighborhood, but um, when she was five, it turned out to be one of the biggest outreaches for her as well. Um, we were actually about to leave, um, and uh, Jan Katosh, we have a little prayer section um, over here where um, a young woman had come and had just um, lost a pregnancy and was grieving that loss, 
um, and didn't really know what grief looked like um, as a believer. Um, and Jan pulled me over out of the blue. We, I was on my way out <laughs> with my child, and Abigail was standing right there, and we just prayed over this precious woman. Um, and when I went home, and we, I started tucking Abigail in. <sighs> Sorry. Um, she was like, Mommy, what was wrong with the lady? And I kind of explained a little bit about it and um, told her that, you know, um, through Jesus, because we know, we know where that little baby is and that we were giving her that hope that if her faith was in Jesus, she gets to see that baby again when she falls into the arms of her Savior. Um, and she started asking questions, and she was like, Mommy, I love Jesus, but I want that. And I was like, she's five. <laughs> she's in bed. I'm like, okay, apparently this is now. And so we talked, and um, she talked to the Lord, and I really do believe that that was her um, salvation day. Um, but she's now nine. We have watched for fruit as she has um, grown in her relationship with the Lord and understanding what that means and what it means to be a follower of Christ. Um, and um, it has just been a joy to watch her grow. Um, and we wanted this moment, we waited, we wanted this moment to be something when she walks through her life and there are trials, we wanted this to be one of those first flags that she planted in the ground and said, that was real, I remember it, I stood before my family, my congregation, and I said, Jesus is who I'm living for. And... We asked her if she wanted to share anything today, um, and she said that she wanted to share um, some song lyrics that have become very special to her, so I'm going to let her share those. The lyrics of the song are, I want to be different, I want to be changed, till all of me's gone and all that remains is a fire so bright the whole world can see that there's something different, so come and be different in me. just celebrate with you today. Now, before she's baptized, we want to give a chance to say some words of encouragement to her, and I know we're going to start over here with Miss Molly Moore. Molly is our children's ministry director here, and so Molly, we're going to put you on the spot first here. So. Oh, it makes me stand. All right. Hello, sweet Abigail. I have known you since before you remember me. You were a tiny baby. I I've known your parents for so long. We had a sweet baby shower for you. Um, from day one, you have been a sweet, smiley, wonderful little girl. But it's so awesome that as most of us have been praying that you would know Jesus when you were young, that you would come to him when you were young, and that you could have an entire lifetime of growing with him and serving him. So I'm just so excited to be a part of that. I want to remind you of the verse that we've talked about probably a million times in Sunday school throughout the, year, throughout the years of God's word being a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. 
because it truly is. As you're growing, the more you read God's word, the more you'll see him, the more he'll direct you, and the more he will just lead you where he wants you to be and where you can serve and where you can be that light for other people. But also, one of your other favorite people, I know I'm one, um, (laughs) Ms. Lori Smart, your Sunday school teacher, could not be here, um, needed to go out of town, so she gave me a letter to read to you, and it says, Sweet Abigail, your name, Abigail, means joy of the Father, and I know that today your Father in heaven is overjoyed that you want to publicly declare that God sits on the throne in your heart. Your mama once told me that Carmen Falcioni called you a sunflower that would brighten the lives of all you met, how that has come to be so true. And just like a sunflower opens up as it faces the sun, you will glow as you face your Jesus, spending time with him and reflecting his love to others. When we were in class listing the characteristics of God that we saw in each other, everyone agreed that we saw in you God's love. The greatest of these is love. Keep being God's sunflower. I love you, Mrs. Lori. Thanks, Molly, and thanks to Laurie Snow to be here. Now, I know we have some family here, so I see grandparents here. I know they want to say, here, I'll hold the mic for you. Abigail, I'm so proud of you. I wanted to give you a verse that, that means a lot to me right now, and it has in my life. Uh, John 16, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he says, these things I tell you that in the, so that you will have peace. That in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. That smile that you have encourages other people to smile. The kindness that you show to other people encourages other people to be kind. And Lord, and Abigail, we know that the life that you are leaving, that you are leading right now, will lead others to Jesus. And we just pray that you would continue to remember this day. And remember that your family is always praying for you and lifting you up. I love you. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Well, um, Abigail, unfortunately, um, I was not blessed with what your mom and dad and you uh, have. I I can't uh, memorize things real well. So I decided to actually write out, and and you are so blessed uh, by being able to learn scripture and memorize. lines and plays and things like that. So I actually wrote this out, so please bear with me. It's, Abigail, I want you to know that you are so special to Nanny and Poppy. We've watched you dance, we've watched you act, but best of all, we've seen you become a child of God. You're our first grandchild, and we've been so blessed to be able to watch you grow and mature. Our prayer prayers were answered when we heard that you had given your life to God and that you were going to be baptized today. I want you to know that our prayers for you will never stop. And we're looking so forward to what God will do in and through you as you continue to serve him in obedience to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And there, there were a couple of verses that I wanted to uh, read to you. Um, one, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And 
I know others have said, you know, how important it is to stay in the word, to read your word, uh, to read God's word daily and to pray daily. Um, the other one that I wanted to read is from Matthew, and it's in, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father, which is in heaven. Abigail, you, you exude um, love when you smile, you, when you walk into a room, uh, the room just lights up because of your presence. And I, I know that that's the presence of God within you, within the Holy Spirit within you, uh, Abigail. And we just thank you so much. We love you, and uh, we look forward to seeing you as you grow. Amen. Thank you. Come on, Miss Elaine. My heart is so full, I'm about to burst. And I just wanted people to know that if you don't know this young lady personally, my husband, who passed four years ago, used to leave me on Sunday morning and run to the nursery because this child was in a little cute outfit in a bunny, and he had to get her a hug. He did it every Sunday. And Papa Carmen would be so pleased today. And even me, having two years of being able to share Jesus in a classroom with you, is my heart. And all the scriptures that were given today were things that I'd already thought about saying. But Jesus says in the word that people will know us by our love. And even when I've had these past few years, this child has not forgotten me. She has mailed me letters, colored me pictures. She has sang me songs. She has done videos and sent it to me on my phone. And she's always, anytime I have come to be here on Sunday mornings, the light and the love that she gives me through her hug carries me the rest of the way. So if you find yourself lonely, go to the nursery. <laughs> Start hugging these babies <laughs> and praying over them because the blessings return a hundredfold. Thank you, Elaine. Okay, Mandy. So, Abigail, the main reason I'm talking today, one, I adore you, but, you know, Sable's a little shy in front of people, and so she asked me to speak for her. And it is so, I'm so thankful that the Lord saw fit for us to live two streets over and that y'all can have the precious friendship. I'm right there. Sorry. Um, I envision you as you grow in your struggle to have each other, to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Will you help me? Will you walk with me? And um, just in Sunday school today, we were talking about rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Goodness gracious. I think you know I love you, don't you? <laughs> um, when Sable's pappy died, you loved her. And you bailed her and y'all talked to her. And, of course, your mom did the same for me, but to know my kids are loved and have people, there's just nothing better. And you do that for her, and she does it for you. And that is the greatest joy that we can have as parents, to know that y'all love Jesus, and you're going to walk together. Thanks, Mandy. Well, lots of things we could say to encourage, but I just want to echo, Abigail, everything that you've heard the others say. We see God's grace at work in your life, and we rejoice with you. If you notice on their t-shirts, it says Sola Fide, 
this old Latin expression, this faith alone, that our works don't save us, baptism doesn't save us, it reminds us that only God saves us, and this is our pronouncement of our faith alone and Christ alone as we receive God's grace for all that he has done. So with all that being said, with that encouragement, Abigail, I hope you'll never forget what's been spoken to you. Tom, we're going to turn over to you and let you get the chance to baptize your daughter, who's also your sister in Christ. because God's love shines through you. And um, a verse was given to me today, um, was brought to my heart, and it comes in Hebrews, and it's the, the beginning of the 12th chapter. And it says, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and sin which will so easily ensnare us. Let us run with endurance race that is before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ, who is the source and perfecter of our faith. So I have a question. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Yes. Then it gives me great joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. come do a prayer time for us. He'll get a little extra commotion around him. This will be good, right? Yeah, so, so just stay, stay, stay where you're seated. And then as soon as he prays, first to fourth grade will be dismissed out the doors to kids' worship, fifth and sixth if you'll return to, to be with your parents. But Seth's going to come lead us in a prayer time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much that we get to celebrate baptism of Abigail, Lord. What a beautiful picture it is of your grace and your mercy and your kindness. And Lord, I just thank you as I was hearing these stories just about reminded of how each person in the body of Christ plays a part and how you even use a little child to bring encouragement, to bring joy, to bring grace, to bring peace to so many, Father. And we just thank you for that. And we thank you that you are a faithful God and that you are a good God, Lord. And we thank you that as we move into this Easter season that we're going to have the opportunity to just remember that, to celebrate that, to worship you to think about that, Lord, and I pray we truly would over these next couple weeks just meditate on your plan of salvation, that you came to this earth, that you died on a cross, that you were raised to life, and Lord, you have made a way for us to be in relationship with you. You've made a way for us to know you, to worship you, Lord, to be called your children, and we thank you for that, Father, and I pray that as we meditate upon that, as we understand that more, that it would change our hearts and that we would seek to make you known to other people throughout our, throughout our neighborhoods and our community and our families. Lord, we just pray that you would give us those opportunities to speak the truth of the gospel over these next couple of weeks. Lord, we want to lift up Lenny and Debbie Dixon to you and their ministry shepherd staff. They're such a precious brother and sister to us, Lord, and we just thank you so much for the way that they model your grace and kindness to those in our city, to the poor in our city in particular. And uh, we just thank you, Father. We pray that you would bless them, that you would hold their arms up, that they would not grow weary in doing good, but that they would continue to run this race that you have set before them for your glory. And Lord, we just pray you'd provide everything they need in terms of finances and energy and resources and clothing and just all that they need to minister to the poor father. And we just pray you'd continue to restore Lenny's health. I know he had a 
a uh, serious battle with COVID and um, has been on oxygen for quite a while. We just pray you'd continue to restore his body and raise him up to full health that he'd be able to continue on in this ministry, Father. Lord, we lift up um, our, our fellow church, Grace Point Church of Christ here in town and Pastor Scotty Harris, Lord. I know he specifically wants prayer for um, the children's ministry and the young families to, to draw closer to one another and to draw closer to you in this time, Father. We just pray that you would equip them raise up the volunteers they need, raise up the leadership they need, and that you would just give them a, a heart to not only minister to one another, but also to the community around them through that ministry. Father, we just pray you'd bless that church and that you would um, just provide for them, protect them, Lord. Lord, we pray for Taylor and Sarah Fox with their ministry in Strasbourg, France, with the Navigators, Lord. I know Taylor um, has been ministering so faithfully over there to college students and we just pray you'd continue to bless him, Lord. I know he specifically is requesting for a um, just another full-time staff member to be able to come alongside him. We pray you'd provide that, Lord, and that you would provide everything they need to minister in a foreign country. And I uh, just pray you'd provide the community they need and the fellowship they need. And we just ask that you would take care of them and guide them, Lord. Lord, we pray for our, our global missions like we do each week. We pray for the country of Guinea, Lord. We pray for Abe, who is in that country, Lord. And we just thank you that you've connected him with a missionary couple who's planted a church there, that they're doing the work of your gospel. And we pray for Abe specifically, that he would continue to grow in his faith, that he would make disciples over there, that he would proclaim his faith boldly, Lord, and that you would cause the gospel to go forward into that country and into the unreached peoples around them, Lord. And Lord, uh, we pray for the offering today as we get to come together, we get to declare our faith in you by giving of our resources, by giving of our money, Lord. And I pray that we would do that with great joy today. Um, I pray that we would release this money unto you, Father, for your glory and for your honor, and that we would do that with joy, knowing that you provide. You provide even for the birds and, and um, all living things, Lord, and certainly you provide for your children. And I pray that we would just declare our faith in you by giving of our money this morning, Father, and that we at Gateway would be faithful to steward that well, that we would use that money to take the gospel to, to our city, to one another, to the ends of the earth, Father. Just help us in that. And finally, Lord, we lift up Grady. We pray that you would bless him as he gets ready to come and preach about the, the mystery of the Trinity. And he's got a short amount of time to do it, and it's a difficult thing to grab hold of, Lord. And I just pray you'd give him the ability to speak clearly, that we would have ears to hear, that we would understand this incredible and important doctrine of our faith, Lord, just an important part of who you are. And we just pray that you would help us to understand that and that our hearts would be changed because of sitting under the, the preaching of the truth, Lord. We just love you and we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And boys and girls, first to fourth grade, you can be dismissed to kids of worship. Fifth and sixth, if you'll return back to your parents. While the boys and girls are going, so guys in the booth, can we pull up the house lights a little bit brighter in here so we get back to full brightness up here on the stage and on the house so I can see everybody better? It's great to see you guys this morning. My heart is full already getting to sing to the Lord and sing about the gospel and to celebrate with Abigail her baptism. This is a much to rejoice in and much to be thankful for today, and I'm grateful that we get to be together for all this. Friends, we're continuing our journey and our time together studying Sunday mornings in the study of rooted, being grounded in the word, and our hope in this is that we would grow deeper, not just in our own faith, but deeper together as a church family, and what we believe this would unify us, this would help us help each other grow, but also would help us take the gospel 
to the lost around us who need the hope of Christ. Now, to do so, we've been using a tool called a catechism, which is a series of questions and answers where we look at a foundational question of faith, and we run to Scripture to find the answer for that. We've looked at two key questions so far from our catechism. The first one was, what is our only hope in life and death? And we saw two weeks ago that our hope is that we are not our own, but we belong both in life and death to God. The idea is that we're being held by God, and there's hope in that. Then last week, we asked the big question, what is God? And we dug into last week that God is the creator and the sustainer of everyone and everything. That he is the creator and the sustainer. As you think about his character's attributes, he is both great and good. We could spend weeks and weeks looking at the attributes of God, but we saw that God is both great and he is both good. Today we need to go deeper into the nature of who God is. So I want you to find 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1. And our question for the more this morning is this. How many persons are there in God? How many persons are are there in God. Now, if you're new to church, this is going to sound like a really strange question, right? Wait, wait, there's one God, and yet we're talking about multiple persons in God? Yes, friends, we are delving into one of the great mysteries given to us in Scripture. There's only one God, but He exists as multiple persons. But even if you've grown up in church and thought about this your whole life, this still makes our brains hurt a little bit. And that is okay, as we'll see in just a minute. So before we even dive into that, I want to go ahead and give us the answer this morning to kind of help guide our time this morning. How many persons are there in God? Here's the, the answer for us. There are three persons in the one true God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the answer to this is there's three persons. There's just one God, but he exists as three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, friends, this teaching is foundational to our faith. If we get this wrong... We get everything else wrong. This is essential to understanding who God is and understanding the gospel. But friends, understanding this, this idea of God as one as three persons, one God, is also very practical to our lives. This is not some cold theological truth. It's not just some philosophical idea for us to wrestle with. Because I want you to see this morning, all three persons of the one God are involved in our lives. So how many persons are there in God? There's three persons of the one true God. Father, Son, and Spirit. And all three are intimately involved in our lives. Now, the big word to describe this is a word we call the Trinity. The Trinity, that means there's one God and three persons. Now, the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. So if you get your concordance on your phone and start looking through trying to find the word Trinity, you're not going to find it because the word Trinity never appears in Scripture. It's a word that summarizes what Scripture teaches about the nature of God. The word Trinity is the word tri-unity. Tri meaning three, unity meaning one. There's threeness, but oneness, three in one. With God, there's one plus one plus one, and it still equals one. And friends, that makes our minds hurt, and that's okay. There's three reasons why I think it's okay for our minds to hurt in this. Before we even jump in, I want to share this with you. One reason why it's so good for us to wrestle with this and our minds to hurt a little bit and understand this is because it reminds us that we're so limited. As we think about the Trinity, it reminds us that we are so, so limited. We're seeing the limits of our human ability to understand who God is and his nature and his character. We're trying to understand the one who had no beginning, who existed outside of time, who made time. And so it's good for us, friends, to realize our limitedness. And as we walk through Scripture this morning, that's one of my prayers for us, is that it'll help us realize how big God is and how small we are. But a second reason it's good for us to wrestle with this is because it leads us to all. It leads us to all. God is so great, our minds can't fully get around him. This is not a God of our imagination. Who would have dreamed up? One God, three persons. Who would have dreamed up the concept of the Trinity? So it leads us to a place of awe because it takes us to see the greatness and the glory and the beauty of God. And I pray this morning as we talk about the Trinity, that would happen, that our awe of God will increase. But third, it's good for us to wrestle because it drives us to Scripture. 
It drives us to Scripture, to the place where God has revealed himself. Friend, there's no human analogy that can do justice to explain the Trinity. I was joking with two of our deacons this morning outside about analogies that people use to try to explain the Trinity, and they're all fraught with errors. Like, that, none of them really do justice to God is, and a lot of the analogies even lead us down very dangerous paths. And so we try to understand the Trinity. We can't find a human analogy that will really explain it. So we're forced to go back to Scripture to see God's self-revelation of himself so we can understand who he is. So it's okay if our brains hurt a little bit. It helps us realize we're limited. It leads us to a place of awe and worship, and it drives us ultimately to Scripture. So this morning I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2, one of many texts we could look at to understand this idea that there's one God but three persons. I want you to see how Peter helps us see the Trinity in 1 Peter 1. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'm reading out the English Standard Version. We'll also have the words on the screen for you. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for what we've already celebrated this morning. We've already sung in praises to you, the triune God. What we've already done in baptism and seeing Abigail baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that in our songs and our baptism, we've already been celebrating that you're one God in three persons. And I pray this morning you'd help us understand this amazing truth even more. Lord, even for those who've grown up in the church their whole life and they're familiar with this, I pray you take us deeper into your word that you would restore to our hearts and awe and wonder at how great you are as we think about your nature here. And Lord, for those who are in our midst, either here in person or online, who do not know you, I pray as we delve into some of these mysteries this morning that you would use us to be drawing them to yourself, for them to see how glorious and great you are, that you'd be stirring their hearts to want to know you for who you really are. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So, how do we see here that there's three persons in the one true God? Now, before we jump into 1 Peter, let me give you a little context so you know what we're looking at. The letter we're in this morning is a letter written by the Apostle Peter. He's one of the twelve disciples of Jesus. In fact, not just one of the twelve, he's one of the three closest to Jesus among the twelve. And Peter is writing to some of the early Christians here, and he's writing to people who are struggling. This is really important to understand today's text. He's not writing to people who are in an easy, comfortable, fluent life. He's writing to people who are struggling, who are facing trials, who are facing temptations, who are suffering. And if you go through 1 Peter, which I hope to preach on in maybe about three years, that's way down our schedule, but we'll get there in a few years. It's one of my favorite books. But you'll see is in 1 Peter that he uses terms like you're being reviled and you're being maligned. He's writing to people who are enduring much persecution, much suffering, much trials, much hardship. And even here at verse 1, he acknowledges the suffering and the hardships they walk through. Go back to verse 1. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. So he calls them exiles of the dispersion. Now, this is maybe a strange phrase, but this is an imagery from the Old Testament. We think back to when God's people were sent from their homeland. They were exiled to foreign lands. They were dispersed throughout the region. He takes that imagery and now applies it to the church. You're a people who find yourself in a foreign land. You're a people who are far from your home. You're a people who are struggling to walk with God in a land that is very hostile to you and hostile to your faith. You're in a place where you're being persecuted. You're facing temptations every day in life is hard. So at the outset, he's writing to people who are struggling, who are facing hardships. 
And what does he do to anchor them in who they are? What does he do to help them understand how they can endure with joy the hardships that are before them? Well, look at what he tells them in verse 1. He's going to anchor them in their identity in Christ. He says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. He calls them not just exiles, he calls them elect exiles. Now, this word elect is a word that simply means to be chosen by God. And so Peter at the very outset is acknowledging their suffering and trials, but then he's anchoring them in their God-given identity. He says, you are chosen by God. Now, when people hear the word election, they, it often is misunderstood today. It's often treated like it's some ugly philosophical idea that needs to be avoided. But friends, the term election should not scare us, and the term election should not repulse us. It is a word that's found all throughout the scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. And friends, it is a word that's given by God to give us hope. The word election is not just some cold theological term. It is a word that God has given to us to anchor us in who we are and to give his people hope. The word election should communicate to us something that's warm and intimate and personal. That the sovereign creator who we talked about last week, the God who is the sustainer and creator of everyone and everything, the God who is great and good, has chosen to set his affections on us. He's chosen to give us his covenantal love. He has pursued us when we were not pursuing him. He has made us his own. It is a term of great love and affection that the sovereign creator has poured out his love onto us. It's just another way of saying what we saw two weeks ago. What is our only hope in life and death? That we belong to God, that we've been chosen by God. So now how did God choose us? How did God bring about our salvation here? And that's what Peter tells us in verse 2. And as Peter explains how our salvation came to us in verse 2, he gives us this beautiful glimpse into the Trinity, into the nature of God being one God in three persons. So look at verse 2 and look at what Peter tells us here. And this is designed to give us hope that we are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his Jesus' blood. Here in one verse, you have all three persons of the one true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we understand that? Now, we're going to come back to 1 Peter in a minute, but I want us to walk through seven key truths that we need to understand if we're going to get the, the understanding of the Trinity correct here, to make sense of this idea of one God, three persons. There's seven things that we must fully embrace in this. Number one, there is only one God. We're not talking about there's three gods here. There's only one God. The Trinity does not mean we're worshiping three separate gods. We are still worshiping one God. In the words of the Catechism, if you have that book, it says there's the one true and living God. Now, Scripture makes this really clear for us. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, one of the most important Old Testament texts for the Jewish people, it's called the Shema, and it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is, what's the next word? One. The Lord is one. There is only one true God. Now, when you see the word Lord here in your copy of God's Word, it'll probably be in all caps. Because when you think about Lord, we often associate with the New Testament understanding of Christ. He's the Lord. He's the Master. He's the Boss. In the Old Testament, we see the word Lord, and you see it appearing in all caps. That's not the word Master Boss. That's the covenant name of God. It's the name Yahweh. It's the divine name for God here. And so what this is really saying is, Hero Israel, Yahweh, our God, Yahweh is one. The name God has chosen to use to reveal himself to us, he's proclaiming his name and he is saying that he is one. In the world of so many false gods, so many idols, so many false religions, Yahweh is making the exclusive claim, there's only one God and it's me. Nothing else you're running after is God. I alone am the one true God. We see this, this self-proclamation of God later in Isaiah chapter 45. 
Here, Yahweh is inviting the nations to come to him and to renounce their idolatry and to turn to him, the one true God. And he says this to the nations, declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? Was it not I, Yahweh? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Verse 22, he carries on here. This again, this is Yahweh talking. He says, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of this, for I am God, and there is no other. That Yahweh makes the proclamation that I am the only true God. I am one, and there is no other God beside me. So we start there, if we're to understand the Trinity. It's not three gods, it is one God. Now with that, number two, we need to understand the Father is fully God. We start talking about the persons of God. We'll start with the Father. The Father is fully God. We think about God is not a pie chart. It's not one-third of God is the Father, and one-third of God is Jesus, and one-third of God is the Spirit, as if they're divided. The Father is fully God. The Father is not one-third God. He is fully God, and He's always been fully God. There was no point in the past that there was not the Father, and He was not fully always 100% God. We see this back in 1 Peter chapter 1, if you have the very next verse to verse number 3. It says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how God and Father are equated here, that the Father is proclaimed God here. And it tells us what he's done. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So you see here that the Father is equated with God, and he's described as doing things that only God can do. He's sovereign. He's caused things to happen. He is described as merciful. So all the attributes of God belong to the Father. There's a misnomer that floats around where people say, well, in the Old Testament, the Father was a God of wrath. In the New Testament, God is now a God of mercy. No, no, friends, you can't do that. God is fully, always, all of his attributes, all the time. God doesn't change. That's a whole sermon for another day. But the Father is fully merciful and fully just and fully righteous and fully gracious. It says Jesus is. The Father is fully God all the time and has all the attributes of God. We see this as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. In 1 Corinthians 8, 6, I want you to see that up on the screen here. It describes for us what the Father is. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father. Again, notice how God and Father are equated. From whom are all things and for whom we exist. Now stop there. We'll come to the latter part of the verse in just a minute. But God is described as the Father, and he's fully God. Set the, ne- the next truth, number three here. Not only is there just one God and the Father is God, but number three, Jesus, the Son, is fully God. And God's not divided. He's not partially God. He is fully God. You see it in the last half of 1 Corinthians 8, 6 there up on the screen. And there's one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom we are, are all things and through whom we exist. You notice parallelism here. There's the Father from whom are all things. There's Christ through whom are all things. There's the Father for whom we exist. And there's Christ through whom we exist. Notice what Paul's doing here. He's showing us the beauty that Christ is fully God, just as the Father is fully God. Colossians chapter 2 makes that so clear for us. In Colossians 2.8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, verse 9, he's talking about who this Christ is. For in him, how much of the fullness? How much? whole, not partial. He's not one-third God. He doesn't have some of the attributes, and the Father has others. The whole fullness of deity, everything you can use to describe God, describes Christ. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, that Christ is fully God. We say the same thing in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. And what type of imprint? Exact 
imprint. He's not have, doesn't have a different nature than the Father. He's the exact imprint of the Father. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of the Father on high. That Jesus himself is fully God, just as the Father is fully God. And he claimed this throughout his ministry. John chapter 10, we saw this just a few weeks ago, but in John chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus tells people, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. But it doesn't stop there. In verse 29, he says, My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You see, he's saying, I and the Father are doing the same here. And then, in fact, in verse 30, he proclaims this, I and the Father are one. He's claiming to be fully God, and the Jews get that. In verse 31, the Jews hear this, and they picked up stones to try to stone him because they knew he was claiming to be fully God, and they understood that that was heretical because there's only one God. And now you have a man standing here saying that I am fully God as well. So there's only one God. The Father is fully God. Jesus is fully God. Number four here, the Holy Spirit is fully God also. The Holy Spirit is fully God also. Now, there's a lot of confusion today. We treat the Holy Spirit like some type of force from Star Wars, you know, and I love the Star Wars movies, but the, the Holy Spirit is not at all like the force. Well, many Christians talk about the Holy Spirit as an it or a thing. No, the Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead, just as the Father and the Son are. It's He, the Holy Spirit, is not an it. The Holy Spirit is described in Scripture as having emotions and having feelings and working and doing things. He is the part of the Godhead because He is fully God. You see a glimpse of this in Acts chapter 5, verse 3. In Acts 5, you have the early church, and you have Ananias and Sapphira, this couple who kept some proceeds back that they were supposed to give to the Lord. And notice what Peter says to them under the inspiration of God. He says, he says Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie this is, to the Holy Spirit? So he tells him, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. He's particularly focusing on what this couple has done in relation to the Holy Spirit who fills believers. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Then in verse 4, notice what he says. While it remained unsold, did it not remain in your own? After it was sold, was it not your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this in your heart? You have not lied to men, you've lied to God. So Peter's equating them. When you lie to the Holy Spirit, you're lying to God because the Holy Spirit is fully God. And you see him also acting fully like God. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And this is not an it, this is not a force. He, the Holy Spirit, who's fully God, is going to teach you all things. And he, the Holy Spirit, is going to bring to your mind the things that Jesus has said. And there's so much more to say about the Holy Spirit, but we're coming to that in questions 36 and 37, which will be January of 2022. But we will get there on that one. So Hold on, I know that's not doing justice to the role of the Holy Spirit, but that's coming in questions 36 and 37 in January. But for now, there's one God, the Father is fully God, Jesus is fully God, the Holy Spirit is fully God. It's not like a pie, they're not divided, uh, each of the persons is fully God. So that leads to our next point, number five, all three persons have the same nature. All three persons have the same nature, by nature I mean essence. If you look at the New City Catechism we're working through, it actually says, they, if you go to the adult version, which is much longer, it says, quote, they are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. They're the same in substance. They are equal in power and in glory. That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all have the same nature. And the scriptures we have just looked at 
All three are attributed with doing things that only God can do. All three persons show all the attributes of God. There is no distinction. One is not more merciful. One is not more just. One is not more holy. One is not more kind. They are all fully all God. All three, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are all fully holy, all fully just, all fully righteous, all fully wrathful, all fully merciful, all equally powerful, all equally wise, all equally all-knowing, all equally sovereign. They are all of the same nature the same essence. We saw that just a minute ago in John 10.30, but there's a glimpse of this in John 10.30 when Jesus says, I and the Father are one. They're one in essence, one in nature, one in will, one in power, one in everything. So we've got one God, the Father's fully God, the Son is fully God, the Spirit is fully God, yet number, and they've, number five, they all have the same nature. Now number six, yet they are distinct. Yet they are distinct persons. In other words, the Father is not the Son, Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. There was not a point that God was Father, and then He became Son, then He became Spirit. There's that heresy that has floated around in church history. That's not the case. There's distinct persons who have always existed as distinct persons. We get a glimpse of this in Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Notice all three persons are active, working in distinct ways at the same time here. And when Jesus was baptized, so God the Son, the second person turning in bodily form on earth, was baptized, just like we saw Abigail baptized this morning. Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit, the third person of the Godhead here, the Holy Spirit is fully God, descending on him like a dove and coming to rest on him. Now verse 17, behold, a voice from heaven said, now this is the Father, the first person of the Godhead, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. In one moment in time, in actual history here, you have the Father speaking from heaven, the Holy Spirit descending, and Christ in the water. All three distinct persons of the one God. So they are, they are distinct persons. And closely related, number seven, and last in terms of our seven big ideas, they have distinct roles. They have distinct roles. One God, three persons, each is fully God. They have the same nature, but they're distinct, not only in their personhood for all eternity, they're also distinct in their roles. Now, there's a lot we could say about this, and I don't have time this morning to get into their distinct roles for all eternity before creation. That'll be a subject for a whole nother day at another time. But for this morning, they had distinct roles, particularly in how they relate to us, the created order. And go back to verse 2 of 1 Peter's morning. I want us to return to that. Because we see a glimpse of that in our salvation, that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are all at work in saving us, but they have distinct roles in what they do to bring about our salvation. Look at verse 2 here again. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Now what you have here in verse 2 are four prepositional phrases. So here's our English grammar moment for a minute, okay? You have four prepositional phrases. According to in the, for, and for. Now, in the Greek language here, all four of these prepositions have to modify something, and that goes back to verse 1. They modify the word elect. And the way it was written in Greek in the tense is the word elect is the center word there, and all four of these prepositions come off of the word elect. They all tell us how we became elect. They all tell us how we became belonging to God. Remember, this is supposed to give us hope. And what Peter is doing, writing to a people who are hurting, who are struggling, who are having a really hard time, he's saying the whole trinity is involved in saving you. The whole trinity cares about you. All three persons of the one true God are involved in your salvation. Now, how do we see that? Look at, let's look at these key prepositional phrases here. Start with the very first one in verse 2. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. 
So the Father, the first person of the Trinity, has a role in our salvation. And it says it's his foreknowledge. Now, the translation word foreknowledge really doesn't do justice to this word. It almost sounds like a fortune teller. They're just, they're just telling you what might happen, right? But that's not what this word communicates. The idea of foreknowledge is not just knowing what might happen that's outside of your control. The idea of foreknowledge is the idea of choosing what's going to happen in the future. It's going to be directing what's going to happen in the future. The word foreknowledge comes from an Old Testament concept of God choosing to put his covenant love on a particular people. And in fact, verse 3 clarifies that. Peter wants to make sure we don't miss this. And so in verse 3, we're told, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice this. According to his great mercy, he has caused us. There it is. There's foreknowledge and causation. Has caused us to be born again to a living hope. In other words, what is the Father's role in salvation for us? He chose to do what he did not have to do. He chose to put his affections on us. The sovereign creator, the great I am, the one who's always existed, the Father himself has chosen to love the unlovely and to make us objects of his love and to give us the gift of his salvation. As we saw this when we studied Ephesians, if you think back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, I know Ephesians was several years ago, but I want to remind you this. We're told, even as he, this is the Father, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, now verse 5, I think we got up there for you. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Notice this is the will of the Father. Now verse 6 kind of wraps it all up. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So the Father has chosen to will our salvation, to pour his affection on us. But the whole God has involved. So I want you to see also here, the Holy Spirit is involved. And the Holy Spirit applies the gospel to us. The Holy Spirit is involved. He applies the gospel to us. Look at verse 2 again, and notice the second preposition. Not just according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, but now in the sanctification of the Spirit. In the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, when you hear the word sanctification, we normally think about that progress and godliness throughout life, and we'll have questions about that coming in 2022 as well as we keep working through this. So we'll get to sanctification as well. That is what the Holy Spirit does, but that's not what this is about. <clears throat> Remember, these prepositions modify the word elect. So this is now talking about that we are elect in the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, what is sanctification? Literally, it is to be set apart. It's to be made holy. If you think about the Old Testament. The priests were sanctified. They were consecrated. They were set apart to do work Unto the Lord. That is the image right here that Peter's pulling from the Old Testament. While the Father wills our salvation, the Holy Spirit is the one who then applies it to us. He's the one who applies it to us. One author I read this week said it well, and it sounded funny at first, but it made sense to me. He said the Holy Spirit is the operative agent in our salvation. I hear operative agent, I think, is this like James Bond? But no, like operative agent here, like he's the one who takes the will of the Father and applies it to our lives. And that makes sense because the Holy Spirit's the one who convicts us of sin, right? He's the one who shows us that we're far from God. He's the one who shows us the separation we have from God. He's the one who shows us we need a Savior. He's the one who opens our eyes to the beauty of Christ and the beauty of God. He's the one who makes the gospel understandable to us. And he turns our hearts that are lost in our rebellion. He turns our hearts to God. So the Father wills it, and then the Holy Spirit comes and applies it to us. Paul makes that really clear in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. In 2 Thessalonians 2, I want you to see this one as well, of what the Holy Spirit does. I think, Matt, you got it up there for 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. There we go. But we are always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Notice this. He chose us how? Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. 
We're able to believe the truth because the Holy Spirit has sanctified us. The Holy Spirit comes to us, fills us, and sets us apart and turns our minds to the things of God. So the Father wills it, the Spirit applies it to us, but number three, Christ purchases it. Christ purchases it. This is only possible because of what the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, has done. Look at verse 2 again in 1 Peter chapter 1. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit. Now you have two more prepositions here. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Now remember the words, the prepositions go back to the word elect. So this word for is tying into elect. And this word for in the Greek is the preposition I. So it's causal. It shows you the cause of something happening. The cause of us being elect to the Father setting his affection on us and the Spirit being able to apply it. What causes it then to, ha- to be able to happen is the sprinkling with Jesus' blood. Now, what does that mean, the sprinkling with his blood? Look down a few verses in your copy of God's Word to verses 18 and 19, because Peter explains to us what that looks like. He says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways, ransom means purchased back, from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Then in verse 19, But we were bought with the precious blood of Christ, by that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Friends, Christ is the one who came lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law we could not fulfill, went to the cross as our sacrifice, and took the wrath of a holy God that should have been put on us, got put on him instead. And so his blood being shed enables us to now belong to God. Therefore, back to verse 2 here, with that in place, with the foreknowledge of the Father, with the sprinkling of the blood of Christ, and with the Holy Spirit applying it, it says, for obedience to Jesus Christ. Now again, we think of obedience, think of ongoing throughout our life, and that's part of it. But here, this is the initial act of obedience, of saying, yes, Lord, I will follow you. This is the initial following of Christ, saying, I'm tired of living for myself. God, I want to live for you. This is what we see a glimpse of in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. In Philippians 2, therefore God has highly exalted him, Christ, and so in him, Christ, a name that is above every name. Now, verse 10. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. This is what this initial obedience is. We're bowing in the name of Christ, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And then in verse 11, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That the obedience to Christ, when we bow our knees, that point in time when Abigail was five, as we heard in her testimony, whatever point for you that you said, Christ, you are Lord, I want to live for you, that happened because the Father had willed it, Christ had purchased it through the his blood, and the Holy Spirit in that moment applied it to you so you could obey and follow him. The whole Trinity is involved in our salvation. Distinct roles, one God, three persons, one mission, three different distinct roles to bring it about. I'd encourage you, we don't have time to do it this morning, but to go read Ephesians chapter 1. I know we preached through it several years ago, but Ephesians chapter 1, and try to find this week all three persons of the Trinity in Ephesians 1, because they're all there, and it's beautiful, and it's glorious. glorious. And so look at Ephesians chapter 1 and see how the whole Trinity is described as being involved in pursuing you in that chapter as well. But friends, as I said earlier, this, this idea of the Trinity is not just some philosophical thing. It's very real to us, because all three persons are not only involved in our salvation. All three persons of the one true God are involved in our lives still today. Did you know that all three persons of the Godhead are still holding you right now? The reason we persevere, the reason we're able to stand strong in the trials is because all three persons of the Godhead are holding us. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. I want you to see this. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you, and believed in him, you were sealed. You're sealed with the promise too? The Holy Spirit, he seals you. Now, verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance 
until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So the Holy Spirit is holding you. It's the imagery of being sealed. You're set apart. No one can take you because the Holy Spirit is in you and you are sealed. But Jesus already told us this. We saw this earlier. John chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So you've got the Holy Spirit saying, I'm sealing you. I've got you. It's guaranteed you'll get to the end. Now you have Christ saying, I'm holding you as well. And then in verse 29, he says, but not just me, the Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of his hand. So you've got the Spirit sealing us, Christ holding us, and the Father holding us. Friends, when life is hard, this is our anchor. All three persons of the one true God are involved and actively working to seal you, to hold you until the end. But there's much more we can say. They're not just involved in our salvation and our security. All three are involved in our prayers as well. Think about this. When you pray, we predominantly pray to the Father who hears us and answers. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So we have an invitation from the Father to come talk to him in prayer. How can we do that? We can only do that because Christ has covered us so we can go to the Father. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. I want you to see this one. In Philippians 3, 9, we are to be found in him not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so we can approach the Father because Christ covers us. So we pray to the Father. We do so not in our own strength. We do it because Christ has covered us. But furthermore, Christ himself prays for us. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, he, Christ, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So in our prayer life, we're praying to the Father who hears us and answers. Christ has made a way for us to do that, but furthermore, Christ is praying for us right now also. So our prayers are going to the Father, and Christ is saying they're praying to the Father on our behalf as well. But it gets even more amazing. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, the Holy Spirit is in the midst of all this as well. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray as we ought, for the Spirit himself intercedes for us, but groanings too deep for words. Friends, do you realize that? When you go talk to God in prayer, the whole trinity is involved. You're talking to the sovereign creator, the Father who is able to answer and invites you to come talk to him. You're able to do that because Christ has covered you. Christ is standing there interceding for you as well. And the Holy Spirit who fills you is praying as well with groanings too deep for words. The whole trinity is involved in our prayers and in praying for us for the God to be involved in our lives. We can say more there. One more, friends. The whole trinity loves us. All three persons of the Godhead are involved in loving us. I love this. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Look at how the Father feels towards you. If you are in Christ, this is how the Father feels to you. The Lord, that's Yahweh, your God, is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He, the Father, will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Friends, do you realize that? That if you are in Christ, the Father sings over you. The Father quiets you with his love. You have a love deeper than anything you can experience on earth that the Father God himself sings over you. He loves you so much. And again, the whole trinity is involved in loving us. John chapter 15, verse 15 as well. John 15, 15. I think, Matt, we got it up there for us. And Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants. The servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you what? What have I called you? The second person of Trinity says, you're my friends. For I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. The Father is singing over us. Christ says, you are my friends. And then Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through who? 
the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you see that? The Father is singing over you. The Christ says, you're my friends, and the Holy Spirit is pouring all this love into our hearts. You want to bring all that together. One last verse for the morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, that's the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Friends, the whole Trinity, the one God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all involved in your salvation, are all actually involved in holding you, are all actually involved in your prayers, and are all actually involved in loving you today. Peter says life is hard. You're, gonna, you're like exiles in the world. I know life is hard, but here is your hope. God has chosen you. He is holding you, and you know he's holding you because all three persons of the one true God are involved with that. So how many persons are there in God? There's three persons in the one true God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, the Father is fully God, Christ is fully God, the Spirit is fully God. They're all equal in their nature, yet they're all distinct persons, and they all have unique roles, as we see in our lives. Friends, if you are in Christ, that is your hope. No matter how hard life gets, even if it's like the people in 1 Peter, if you're maligned, reviled, persecuted, God is the one holding you in all three persons of the God who are holding you. I hope this week, friends, that you will dwell on that. Reread some of these texts. Reread Ephesians 1 and rejoice in the fact that the whole Trinity is involved in loving you, saving you, and holding you. And friends, if you are not yet in Christ, this amazing God is inviting you into a relationship with Him. To come fall at His feet and worship and wonder and awe that the God who made the universe, who's so holy and perfect, has made a way for your sins to be forgiven so He does not have to judge you. Instead, you can be forgiven because of what Christ has done for you. And I pray that this would be the week you cry out to him, much as Abigail did when she was five. I pray that you would do that this week, to come see this God who is so amazing. So my question is quite simple as we close this morning. Do you know the triune God? Do you know him? Not just about him. Do you know him in a personal way? Do you know the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a real personal way? Do you see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit saving you? Do you see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all holding you? Do you see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all enabling your prayers? Do you see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all loving you? Friends, do you understand the way the triune God relates to you? And I pray this week he would grow us in the knowledge of his great love for us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are almighty, that we can approach you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have made a way through the sprinkling of your blood on the cross for us to be able to come before the Father to bring our request. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you fill us, that you've applied the gospel to us, and that you have stirred our heart affections towards God. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you've saved us. We thank you that all three of you, the one true God, are holding us today, no matter how hard life is. We thank you that you are continuing to sanctify us and grow us. Lord, I pray this week you would increase our awe and wonder of you. Lord, we confess it's so easy to go through the motions of church stuff or even devotions, but God, I pray this week that we would just have our minds blown that you are one God and three persons, and all three persons, the one God is pursuing us and chasing us. And I pray that that would become the hope for us no matter what hardships we face. And we will give you the praise, O triune God, for who you are and all that you do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And as you stand as we sing our closing song, our song is King of Kings. And we're going to praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. darkness we were waiting without hope and without light 
So from heaven you came right, there was mercy in your eyes. To fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word. From a throne of endless glory, to a cradle in the dirt. Praise our Father, praise our Son, and praise our Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, and praise forever to the Kingdom come and to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation. You do not despise the cross, for even in your suffering, you saw to the other side. Knowing this was our salvation, Jesus for our sake, you died. Praise our Father, praise our Son, praise our Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of morning that you rose, all of heaven held its breath, till that soul was moved for good, for the Lamb that conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe, for the souls of all who'd come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born, then the Spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not fade. By his blood and through his name, in his freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me. Praise the Father and praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit.
I want us to proclaim our question and answer out loud. So our question is, how many persons are there in God? I want us to say the answer together. So we'll get it up on the screen for you and let's repeat it. There are three persons in the one true God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three are involved in our lives. Almighty God, we rejoice in that truth this day. Help us have greater wonder and awe and worship of you this week for who you are. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday afternoon.